0: All right, if y'all could come on in and have a seat, if you don't mind moving up to the front, it's really nice because I can't see very far, and I'd love to be able to see your faces. My name is Ingram Link. I'm Director of Women's Ministries here at Covenant. Welcome. It is such a blessing and such a wonderful thing to be able to gather and to study God's Word. Um, and I'm just really excited to see all of you here this morning. I am going to, I've got a few just announcements, kind of business things to review. We will be in here for lecture from 1030 to 11, and then we will go to our small groups for discussion. And um, at the end of the lecture, I do have list of small groups and room numbers, and I will call each small group leader up to the front let their small group come together and y'all can um, go to your room together so that everybody knows where they're going this first day. The other thing I want y'all to do is I want you to take your phones out. And we're going to put them away, but I want you to take it out. And I'm not telling you to put it on silent, I promise. I want you to go to your search engine and find the CovPrez website. It's covprez.com. When you get to covprez.com, I want you to click on the link that says Ministries. And then where it says Adult, I want you to click on the link that says Women's Ministries. And then I want you to scroll down. Um, 30 Day Prayer Journal, keep going. Created for Purpose, keep going. Fall Bible Studies, keep going. Ministry Opportunities. We are getting ready to have things this year. Feast Not Famine is on the calendar. It may look more like it did last year than it has in the past. We have a women's retreat on the calendar. We have Sacred Studio on the calendar. We have Come to the Table on the calendar. We have the Love Lady Women's Christmas concert on the calendar, of Summer Salad Suppers on the calendar. And then there are things all over our church with VBS, with our children, praying for our youth, helping out in Sunday School or Children's Church, being on the Flower girl Guild, all being on the Creative Art Guild. So if you click on that, click here to find your place to serve. You can click as many of those things as you want to. Because we are gonna need help. We really are. And so I really want to invite you, if you're not sure where to plug in, just volunteer. There is a spot for you. So once you do that, if you don't mind silencing your phone, that would be great. Um but it's really sweet to be able to get together and to study God's word. Um, I am a much better writer than I am speaker, for those of you, and I'm not saying that I'm a good writer, I'm just a better writer than I am a speaker, and so I tend to read my notes a lot more than some of our other teachers, and if this is your first year with us, there are about five or six of us who teach, and we rotate through, and it is really our privilege to be able to do that for you, and with you, and to serve in that way, and we're so thankful that you're here. Um, the lessons are recorded, so if you miss a week, you can go back and listen. Um, we'll teach in here and then we'll go to our small groups and discuss the chapter. And this week we're on chapter one. I do want to give you a little background on Peter, on Simon Peter, a character from the Bible who is impulsive and passionate. Um, he's one of my favorite. He's the voice behind the gospel of Mark. There's a three year time period where his world is turned totally upside down. The world that he comes to live is so different from the one he was living when his brother Andrew came and found him and said, Hey, hey, brother, we've found him. We've met the Messiah. Come and meet him. And so he does. He follows Andrew and he goes to meet Jesus. And Jesus says to him, You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon, always the one who's ready to give an answer, always the one who's ready to jump into action, says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Can you imagine hearing these words from Jesus? Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter had no idea what was coming. None. This is the disciple who wanted to walk on the water with Jesus. This is the disciple who cut off the soldier's ear when Jesus was arrested. This is the disciple who denied him three times after he was arrested. The disciple, though, who Jesus lovingly recommissioned as a shepherd. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he said, follow me. This is the disciple who in Acts 2, after the followers of Jesus Christ were filled with the Holy Spirit, stood before the multitudes and reminded the crowds of the words from Joel and Psalms and other Old Testament texts that Jesus is the Lord and Christ. And that God raised him from the dead and exalted him to sit at his right hand. That Jesus Died so our sins could be forgiven and gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to receive the word and to be saved. Peter now is at the end of his life. He has been living faithfully for years. He's in Rome. And he is writing to exiles who are now in what is present-day Turkey to encourage them and challenge them to live out their faith. And ladies, we need that too. We need that encouragement on how to live out our faith. So we're gonna read through the passage. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through its tested fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father God, your word is true. Lord, it is active. It doesn't fade. Lord, it doesn't change. And Lord, you have given it to us. And so we come before you this morning thankful that we can study together. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. There is so much in this passage. I pray, Father God, that um, what you want to be shared this morning, would will be what these ladies hear, no matter what comes out of my mouth, Lord. And we give this time to you. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and the salvation that you have given us. we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So here Peter is. He is giving these people in this early church a guide on how to live. Culture is hard for them. They're outcast. They're in places where their, their families may even not be there if they're there and they're not believers, they're rejecting them. Um, The instructions that Peter is giving are valuable for us today. The Hebrews 4.12 tells us, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Whenever we study God's word, it is important to remember and know that God's word was applicable to the people that it was written to then, and it's applicable to us today. What do we say here every Sunday morning after scripture is read? The grass withers. Yes, and that doesn't change. Praise the Lord. So a letter in this day would have been handwritten, and hand delivered to the church that it was intended for, it's believed that Silas is the one who delivered this letter. He would show up at the church, and he wouldn't just drop it off. He would sit. He would teach. He would have meals. He would discuss with those believers in that church what Paul, what Peter was communicating. His heart. Um, he was there not just to deliver the letter, but to shepherd and to pastor. Someone would copy that letter so that the church could keep a copy of it, so they could keep going back to it. And then Silas would keep going to the next area and do the same thing with that church. Um, He was not just the mail carrier, um, but they were hearing Paul's heart, the heart behind the writing. So these five regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, covered 300,000 square miles. Okay, I don't even know what that means. I just know it's big. Um, When we think about traveling today, we jump on a plane, we get on a train, we take an Uber, we grab a Starbucks, and we go to the next location. And so when we think of traveling, that's often what comes to our mind because that's what we're used to. That's what, what we do. But that's not what this looked like. This was hard. Um, there were boats, maybe donkeys. There was a lot of walking. There were forests. There were trails. There were mountains. There were lakes. There were hills. There were seas. I mean, there were rivers. There weren't Starbucks along the way. There was no Chick-fil-A. I mean, he's just, this is arduous. This is a commitment. This is not a week or even three weeks. Um, so, Silas really believes that the message that Peter wants to send is important and he is willing to make this commitment and to make this journey. He's giving them instructions on how to live out their salvation. Their faith has changed their status in society. They were aliens in a foreign land because their faith set them apart. But Peter's reminding them that even though they're spread out, Even though they're in foreign lands, even though they are living differently from those around them, they are God's elect. He has chosen them. Peter is encouraging them to find their home in Christ, in the household, and the family of God, in the church, rather than in society. The people of God in an unbelieving world live differently. And we must ask ourselves, is the meaning and purpose of my life different from the meaning and purpose of my unbelieving neighbors, family, friends? We live in the same neighborhoods. We go to the same schools. We have the same routines. Our faith should have an impact on others. My salvation and your salvation should shape our values, our commitments, our priorities, our work ethic, our parenting. The first century Christians had become strangers in their culture because of their faith. And Peter is offering encouragement and instruction to them. He is doing what Christ instructed him to do when he told Peter to tend my sheep, to feed my lambs. And Peter starts the letter by identifying himself As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is an authoritative messenger of the Messiah. Most scholars agree that Peter is writing to Christian Jews. They have an understanding of the Old Testament. When Peter refers to them as elect exiles, they know what Deuteronomy 4.37 says. When God says, I loved your fathers and chose their offspring and brought you out of Egypt in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, when the Lord says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to a people before his treasured possession. Because the Lord loves you, the Lord brought you out and redeemed you. That is a verse that is worth saying to ourselves over and over and over again. We are a people chosen to be God's treasured possession because he loves us. And he brought us out and he redeemed us. The Jewish Christians know what it means to be elect. They know what it means to be God's chosen people. So if they are God's chosen people and they are elect, how do they they, and how do we live differently in this world? There were three things that came to my mind. I'm sure you could make a list of a lot of them. But one of them is we simply conform to the image of this world. As believers, we just kind of blend in. Or we may live so legalistically and we're so set apart that we don't even engage with others. Or we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit and we exhibit those characteristics in our lives and the way we relate to others. When I read through this passage, I really think that Peter's encouraging us to do that third thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to engage others. Um, And as we work through the passage, I would encourage you to to work through that yourself. What is God calling you to? When we look at verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, we have the Trinity right there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God is being proclaimed. When we talk about the foreknowledge of God the Father, this is a, this is a hard concept. It is. Um, but we can't understand our God. We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He sets his covenantal love on us. This again goes back to language that the Jewish believers know and are familiar with. So when we struggle with this, when we struggle with the idea of, of he had been choosing us according to his foreknowledge. Um, we know it's consistent with scripture. We know that's what the Bible says. And we know that the Lord cannot contradict his character. He is good. We can't understand the mind of God, and we can't fully understand this concept. But we know God is good. Um, so we can rest in that truth that God in his foreknowledge has chosen us. And the sanctification of the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. God does not just bring us to salvation and leave us. He is working on us. And that's a lot of what this passage is about. Um, the Spirit conform- sanctifies us so that as believers, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. That sounds really good but it is really hard. And um, when we think about it, I think, is the Holy Spirit changing me? Is there areas in my life where God is working? Is he moving me to a place of greater obedience? What are those sins that he's revealing to me? And I have to ask myself, and I'm gonna ask you, When you are spending time with the Lord, are you asking Him, seriously asking Him, to show you the areas in your life that displease Him? We can gloss over that, forgive my sins, I yelled at my children, done. But God is calling us to really come before Him and say, Lord, my heart is not pure. I will say for a while, God has really been reminding me that I am very judgmental. Um... He keeps pointing out ways that I'm judgmental of Dave. Um, or of people who think, Dave's my husband. Not Dave Driscoll, but my other Dave. <clears throat> or of people who think differently than I do about certain things. Um, I see these areas of judgment. and I'm going to confess that I'm pretty comfortable with some of it. And so when I start really thinking about it, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. And this is going to show you how deep my sin runs. It's because I'm right. They're wrong. So isn't it okay? Um, But God really has been slowly, slowly, slowly bringing me to a place of being able to see that. And recently something happened where I used really poor judgment. It was just, I mean, I, I did. The hatchet fell pretty quickly. I was called out for it in a lot of different ways. Um, the response to that poor judgment was weighty, it was harsh, it was painful. Um, It was painful to have that looking glass held up to reveal my heart and my actions. Um, But my being called out for that poor judgment really reminded me how quick I am to rush to judgment. And I could just, the Lord is working. The Lord is moving. Do I like it? No. Is it painful? Yes. But that sanctification is what leads to obedience. And so we have to be convicted of our sin. We have to be willing to be sanctified in order to be obedient. If we're not willing to sit with the Lord and confess those sins, we can't get there. Or it's going to be more painful. It's going to be hard. So the Holy Spirit works on us differently. Thankfully, he is gentle and merciful. He does not heap shame and correction on us in overwhelming amounts. He works with us patiently, just like the fruit of the Spirit is patient. Um, The next part of that phrase, for obedience to Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So we look at that, and one of the commentaries I spent a good deal of time in is one written by Doug Webster, and he um, talks about how obedience is rooted in Christ's righteous and atoning sacrifice. He then asks, are we chosen for the purpose of obeying Christ, or are we chosen because of Christ's obedience? Because when you look at that, you're wondering, okay, is this about Christ being obedient or is this about me being obedient? And it's really both. And when he answers that question, he says, we are chosen for our purpose to obey Christ. And we are chosen because of the obedience Christ, the obedience of Christ, Christ the Lord. We are chosen because of the obedience of Christ. We are also chosen for the purpose of obeying Christ. Um, so when we think about being called to obey Christ, Peter is reminding us and reminding those he's writing that a life of conversion leads to a different life. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This holds true for us as well. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The phrase sprinkled with his blood ties the covenant of the Old Testament to the death of Jesus and the new covenant, which is the eternal life that we have because Jesus took on the punishment of our sin, suffered, died, was buried, is risen, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Sprinkled with his blood is a phrase that has a lot packed in it, and we just have to keep moving. I'm not going to be able to hit everything. Um, I'm already way behind. Start talking faster. But I do love the, okay, but may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And I want to stop here because ladies, we, those are Bible words. Those are Jesus words. Those are religious words. And sometimes we really don't stop and think, what do they really mean? So I want to take a minute just to look at a deeper understanding and significance of them because they're so, so beautiful and rich. John Piper explains grace this way, free and undeserved favor that overflows in powerful, practical helpfulness from God in your daily life where you need it most. Free and undeserved favor that overflows in powerful, practical helpfulness from God in your daily life where you most need it. Peter is sincerely offering the recipients of this letter practical and powerful help in their daily lives. He is calling them to live in a way that was very different from the people they lived among. We are called to live differently. We are called. We are being sanctified. We are to be obedient. God's grace does not mean that we have a life that is free of pain and suffering. Jesus did not live a life free of pain and suffering. We will have troubles. We will have trials. Free and undeserved favor that overflows in powerful, practical helpfulness from God in our daily life where we most need it. Where do you need help? Is it in parenting? Is it in pandemic fatigue? Is it elderly parents? Is it financial stress? Seek the Lord that he may be found and ask for grace. The word peace, according to Strong's, is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Love that old language. The idea of peace, we are so sure of our salvation through Christ, that we are tranquil, that we are free from disturbance, that we are peaceful, restful, and serene. We are so sure of our salvation from Christ, we fear nothing from God. We know that God is not gonna allow anything to happen to us that has not been sifted through his hand. We are so sure of our salvation in Christ that we are content with our earthly lot, our earthly life. Let's be honest. How many of us at this point in our life can say, yes, this is what I ordered. This is the, the, this is the husband, the house, the jobs, the kids, the car, the vacation, the in-laws, the friends. That matches, as Julie Swartman would say, my picture. I don't know that any of us can do that. Um, I always wanted to have a big, beautiful house. Perfect children, a loving husband with a really generous income. The ability to do a little ministry over here, but to do a lot of tennis and lunch and sitting by the pool. I got the loving husband, but that's about it. But you know what? I wouldn't trade the life I have now for that life for anything. I am sure of my salvation. And I am sure that God is sovereign. And I am sure that he sees me and loves me. And that there is an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for me. Why am I so sure of those things? Because if we keep reading, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He is worthy of our praise and worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is he worthy, we are to take time to worship. Worship on Sunday morning with your church body. Worship in how you live. A life that glorifies God, filled with the Holy Spirit, obedient to Christ, is a life of worship. When you sit alone with the Lord, do you worship Him? Just like do you really confess your sins? Do you worship Him? Do you go through a psalm? Do you go through a passage? Do you look at the character of God and give Him glory for who He is? When there are situations or circumstances that are difficult, when we suffer, when those we love suffer, our understanding and knowledge of who God is is what allows us to stand firm on the living hope, our lasting inheritance. According to God's mercy, we are born again. Not our merit or our hard work. It is the mercy of God. Peter goes on to encourage the believers Concrete reasons to live faithfully in the midst of a culture that was not sympathetic to the faith. And these are some of the same reasons we are called to live obediently to Christ. God gives us a living hope. He gives us a lasting inheritance. He gives us a coming salvation. And these are the reasons we live for Christ in our culture. Things were not easy for the recipients of this letter. There was suffering and there was more suffering to come. Just as Jesus suffered as his followers, we are called to suffer. But, 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 we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Often we do become overwhelmed by trials. Life's not fair. Relationships are hard. Someone lets you down. That's life in a fallen world. But our eternal future is not defined by the hardships of this life. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I confess I like the idea of an inheritance, a reassurance that things will be taken care of, there will be provision. The adjectives used here, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, are strong. That inheritance is not going anywhere. It will not change. It will not be less. My parents are always joking about spending my inheritance. This inheritance is not going to be less. Um, it is sure, just like God. It will not be weakened. We have a lasting inheritance that is more valuable than our earthly wealth. It's worth more than our retirement home, retirement account, um, or whatever we're putting our trust and security in. We have a salvation to be revealed at the last time. Does this mean we won't receive our salvation until the end time? No. It doesn't. We have our salvation. Our salvation begins with our justification when we know that we are sinners and Jesus is our Savior. And he has shown us that he is our only hope. But the fullness of our salvation, our glorification is revealed in the last time when Jesus returns. That is the coming salvation that that's referring to. The letter continues as Peter encourages believers to rejoice in trials. Let's be honest, that's not really something we want to do. What do trials look like? Our car broke down. We lost a job. People's houses have flooded recently. We've got children who are being bullied. Cancer diagnoses family and close friends. Parents whose memories are fading. The list goes on and on. These situations are real. These circumstances are real. And Peter doesn't make light of them. He doesn't sweep them up out of the rug, under the rug. He doesn't tell you to put your boots on and pull up your straps and and get moving. He does say to rejoice. Why? Why do we rejoice in trials? Because we know who God is. Remember, we worship him. So we know he is holy and good and righteous, and we know that God cannot contradict his character. He's using trials to refine our faith. Life is not lollipops and rainbows and unicorns. It's not. Trials and suffering are part of life. Faith that is tried and tested is pure. We all know that when when you have young children, when you were a young child and you learned about Caterpillars becoming chrysalis, becoming butterflies, that you can't help a butterfly. If you help a butterfly, it it will not last. What causes that butterfly to be a butterfly is the hard work it engages in to break free of the chrysalis. Trials. Trials. And and Robbie talked about this in the sermon Sunday. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to his teaching from Genesis 40, I would encourage you to. Um, But trials are not for punishment. They may be used for discipline. They are to make us stronger. They are to increase um, our faith. God has a purpose in our trials. He is calling us to exercise our faith. So we will be strengthened through obedience, work, suffering, and sacrifice, among other things, faith that is not strong, faith that is tossed by the waves and the wind, and will be washed away. And it will not last. It will not result in obedience to Christ or rejoicing in the Lord. We don't want that kind of faith. We want a faith that has been tried and tested, as painful as that is, Um, I want to close by just reading some lines from the last, from Webster's close on this passage. Um, And as I read this, I want you to consider, is this what I long for? Is this what I want more than anything the world has to offer? He says, we are saved from sin and death, guilt and estrangement. Ignorance of truth, bondage to habit and vice, fear of demons, of death, of life, of hell, despair of self, alienation from others, pressures of the world, a meaningless life. Those are the things we are saved from. We are saved for a purpose, to love God, others, and ourselves. We are saved for freedom, mission, And community. He goes on to say Salvation changes our relationship with God, giving us acceptance with God, forgiveness, reconciliation, sonship, reception of the Spirit, and everlasting life. Do you want those things? Salvation changes us emotionally, giving us confidence. Peace, courage, hopefulness, and joy. Salvation changes us spiritually, giving us prayer, guidance, discipline, dedication, and service. Salvation changes us personally, giving us new thoughts, convictions, horizons, motives, satisfactions, and self fulfillment. Salvation changes us socially. Giving us new community in Christ, a compassion for others, and an overriding impulse to love as Jesus has loved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have given us instructions on who you are and what you have done for us and what you have called us to. Lord, that you have given us your word, that you are patient, that you are merciful, that you are kind, and that your salvation is eternal. And the riches to come do not begin to compare with the riches here. Lord, I pray for our discussion this morning. I thank you for your goodness. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.